Hello everybody, JA here for the second episode of the Gridiron Victoria podcast, the official podcast of Gridiron Victoria. Um, I have an awesome guest tonight. Uh, this is a story that if you haven't heard about it or read about it, you must have been living under a rock. But if you haven't, it's here now, so I'm going to show it. I've got Heather Marini joining me from all the way over in uh, in Rhode Island, is that right? Up in uh, That's right. up in above New England, we just discussed it right near Foxborough. So all the Tom Brady fans should know exactly where that is. And there's plenty in Australia. Heather, thanks so much for coming on. We really appreciate it, and I can't wait to have a chat with you about your story. Thanks, Jay. Glad to be here. Well, look, I think I was going to start from the beginning, and I just think the first question: You're obviously now the quarterbacks coach at, at, at Brown University, not the Browns, as <laughs> some people are confused. That'd be pretty cool, but Brown University is pretty cool as well. Um, how did you first discover football? How did you first get into it? Well, actually, my husband, Kieran Marini, uh, he was my boyfriend at the time. He played uh, football in Gridan, for Gridan, in Gridan, Victoria, played for the Monash Warriors since he was 16 years old. And uh, I came down to watch him play. Uh, it was, to this day, the longest game of football I've ever seen. <laughs> Went for about five and a half hours. There was a penalty on every play. It was freezing. And you know, no stands obviously in uh, in Gridiron Victoria. Some of the uh, fields are out in the middle of nowhere. So I was standing there, and I had no idea what was going on. And that was my introduction to the game of football. So <laughs> uh, you know, I was lucky enough that uh, I I kind of went kept going back, even though I wasn't so keen in the beginning. But uh, got taken in by the Monash Warriors and, and continued on from there. That's obviously quite, and I, I know your husband very well. He's a, a very good football player. As a as an offensive lineman, we've had some battles. So, um, I'm oh yeah, great guy and, and great competitor. And you know that Warriors talk about that Warriors era where you know they were so successful. But you know, from from all reports, I don't know. I wasn't a part of them, but you know, just a great club to be around. And you know, how did they support you through all that sort of stuff? Whether you know supporting as I imagine there weren't many women in the game back then. What was this 10, 15 years ago? You think? Yeah, getting back there. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I I started as you know just helping out around the club. Obviously, I was there to support Kieran, and uh, I was studying my degree in exercise and sports science. So, I'd done my sports trainers course and you know, just started off helping as, as a sports trainer and, you know, taping ankles and just being around and enjoyed that a lot. Uh, and then uh, had the opportunity uh, to uh, – Aruven became the, the head coach of the, the under-19s and he asked me to be the strength and conditioning coach. So I was able to, to help out in that capacity. And we won a state championship that year. You know, that was a, a very loaded uh, junior Warriors team. And we had guys like Adam Gotsis on that squad as well. And we, and then from there, it was just kind of learning more and more about the sport. I'm like, you know, I got asked to help out with the seniors. And I was like, well, if I'm going to do this, I need to understand the sport that I'm working for. And did my coaches course from there. And, you know, the Warriors were supportive and that, you know, it was just around the club and, and it was an, a fun place to be around and, you know, loved the guys. And, you know, it wasn't necessarily that I was, you know, any part of it was about me being a woman or me pushing the boundaries or anything like that. I was just, you know, happy to be in, to be involved and to offer my support and my services and what I could do to help the club. And obviously, um, you know, as a as a family, you know, Kieran becoming the, the head coach of the Junior Warriors and I became, you know, <laughs> the assistant coach and whatever position needed helping out, I, I would coach that position and 
And then when Kieran stepped down as the head coach to focus on his PhD, I took over. So it was kind of a gradual build up and, and, you know, like I said, very lucky to be part of a supportive club like the Warriors, you know, not having to a lot of pressure to, you know, like it is here in the States where it's big business and your job's on the line if you lose a game, uh, to be able to learn as a young coach and make mistakes and, and learn about the game and, and eventually get to play the game, which was really cool too. Well, that, that, that was my actually my, my next question. It, um, you're obviously coaching and then the women's league started up and it, it kind of, I, don't, I can remember you know, playing and them going, oh, they're going to start a women's comp. And I thought, yeah, what they play all the women. Like, I was like, okay, let's see how it goes. <laughs> I thought, no way women are going to want to play this sport. But the flood of people, wanted, I, I was shocked by it and I, I, I couldn't believe it. And, you know, so you then go from coaching to playing. You'd been coaching for a while at that point. How different was it, like the feelings, emotions, going from being a coach before a game to being like, okay, I'm now putting the guy, what I've been telling guys to do for so long, I'm now having to do. Like, were you were you nervous? Did you feel pressure? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'd been coaching for ten years, uh, and it's very different when you're watching things from the sideline. You get a big picture view. You can see everything that's going on. Yep. Uh, and then you know, I, I played quarterback and and. You know, I think the, the feeling of nerves before a game is good. I think it never goes – for me, at least, it never went away. Um, but going out there and having a more – you know, having to be kind of laser-focused and things happen so quickly uh, when, you know, as a coach, you're used to being able to kind of take it all in. Uh, as a player, you really have to <laughs> just you know, go with the flow a little bit, trust in, in the coaches that are on the sideline and, and can see everything. Uh, but it was, you know, it was a very unique situation to go from coaching for that long to then getting to play for the first time, trying to, you know, get out of your own head is such a real, is a real thing. Um, but I had a lot of fun and it was really awesome, you know, to introduce other women to this sport that I'd grown to love over time, even though, even if it wasn't love at first sight, uh, <laughs> it but it was a really cool experience. <laughs> no one sees football in Australia from the sideline and go, yeah, this is a cool sport. I want to play this. <laughs> I remember like, I, I knew a lot about football when I decided to start playing, which was like 2009 or something like that. And I went down and watched a, a Vic Bowl the year before I started playing and it was the Warriors and the Rangers. And I'm, I'm not sure if you were around then. It was Yeah, Beric, it was. Beric, it was an epic, epic final. <laughs> it was pissing down with rain. Like I have never seen rain and hail like this in my life. And the final score was 6-0. And I was there with about three or four mates and they were all like, this is the dumbest sport I've ever seen. And I just remember sitting there going, oh, I cannot wait to try this next year. This is so – just look at the rain. They're still playing. They're hitting each other. Look, everyone's yelling at each other. The, the, you know, the, it's, it's a sport that you watch. Some people watch it in Australia and just – I think it either clicks with you or don't or, you know, you can learn to love the intricacies of it over time. I think if you watch it blindly, you just don't get it. Um, it it's such. How long do you reckon it took you to, to kind of click with the – the way it worked as a new person? I mean, to really kind of start to uh, like understand and get deeper involved, I would say it took me about three years, to be honest. And that was just being there and being around. And obviously as a trainer, you're, you know, often your attention is not always on the field either. Um, But, you know, to me, what football kind of became was like the best bits of all the other sports I'd grown up with all rolled into one. You know, for me coming, you know, for especially from a strength and conditioning type background, you know, understanding that 
you know, footwork drills that you would do in netball or basketball, whatever, perfectly translate across to football. You look yeah. at the drills that running backs do. You look at the, you know, the, the speckies in AFL translate to some of these incredible catches that these wide receivers make in the end zone. And then you look at the physicality of the sport from, a, you know, an AFL component or a rugby component. Um, you know, for me it was, you know, football was the best bits of all those rolled in together. And then you throw this chess match between the two head coaches on top of that. Um, but to me, it was a way that I could contribute because I understood these other sports that had come from this other sport background yeah. that, you know, football started to make more sense when I could compare it to things that I, I, that I did grow up with. Yeah. Okay. So then you're playing, you then go over, so I, I was trying to find the information on it. I've, I've seen a picture you're wearing, you've got an Australian flag on your helmet and it looks like you're at the NFL combine. That's what it looks like. <laughs> But I can't find one. Yeah, so so you, do you, you go over to the States? Is that right? Yeah. So actually before I played my first game, um, Kieran and I were looking at, at moving to the States and we kind of knew that that was on the horizon. Um, I stepped down as the Warriors Juniors head coach because I, we didn't know exactly when the move date was going to be. Um, and actually, it was probably the luckiest Google search anyone's ever done. I you know, was starting to look for you know, ways that I could continue my love of football and coaching and being involved in a team here in the United States. And I came across the NFL Women's Careers in Football Forum, uh, which in its first year was also combined with the Women's World Football Games. Okay. So there was 220 women from 20 different countries and it was basically an all-star tournament that was also part of Pro Bowl Week. So it was in Orlando. I flew over from Australia. Uh, I got to play my first game of football, which that was, was your incredible. First, that was your first game. That, that was my first game of football. I actually broke my ribs, uh, but that's a whole nother story. Um, went to Disneyland, rode all, rode all the roller coasters uh, at Disney World with broken ribs, but it was worth it. Um, and then was also introduced to Samantha Rappaport, who's a senior director of diversity uh, at the NFL, uh, who ran the NFL Women's Careers Forum. And through that forum, uh, has really been the way that my career has been able to develop here in the United States. Okay. And then uh, before we get in, because oh, I want to get into your coaching career, but first, <laughs> you go over, obviously, because I've seen the tape from that tournament. You scored a touchdown. I saw it. It was a nice little I read did, option. Yeah. You went to the outside. It was good. <laughs> I saw it. It was nice. And then you come back yeah. and you had a great rookie year in, in uh, for the Warriors. They're a big... Not big, there there are big semi-professional leagues in the states. Did you think, well, you know, I'm not a bad player. What made you think, all right, I want to go down the coaching route instead of, you know, I want to have a crack at being the player? Um, honestly, it never kind of crossed my mind that I would continue playing. Like, I think, um, you know, it's been been nice here in the states to to see a lot of women's football, but. To me, you know, I was in the process of establishing my career. I, you know, I finished university. I was all grown up now. It was, uh, it was one of those things where it's like, all right, I got to get a job. And uh, football in Australia doesn't pay very much. Uh, in fact, I think I, I sunk more of my own nothing. money into it than anything else. It definitely pays um, you nothing. I can promise you that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you know, for me, it was like, well, you know, do I? I, I, I went back to when I can you know, obviously in Australia too. I studied uh, paramedics, and uh, in the US, it's a completely different uh, qualification program. I was like, well, I don't know if I want to be a paramedic in the US, and 
you know, I always thought I'd be a coach. I always thought I'd be, you know, the head coach of the Australian netball team. And until I found football and kind of moved on to that path, it kind of came at a really good time for me. So it was always about trying to, you know, find a job. And it didn't really occur to me that there was no other women working in football at the time and that it would be such a difficult uh, thing to break into given that I had felt like I had a lot of experience and, and it was a completely new start coming to the US and I've learned so much since I got here. Okay, so then you, you, you go, you, you play your season here. What then happens next? How, how do you go, okay, you know what? I'm, I've gone to this, this tournament in, in, at the Pro Bowl, which is cool. I've played a season. I want to coach. How do you go? How does that start the process from that to being the quarterbacks coach of, at Brown? How, how does that start? Yeah, so my first six months here, I, I didn't have a work permit. So it was uh, you know, really about you know, going to as many football coaches clinics as possible. One thing I learned through the forum is you know, networks are so important. And it's not so much, you know, they say, you know, it, everybody says it's, you know, who you know, but it becomes particularly important in football. Obviously, as a coaching staff, you have to have a lot of trust uh, in each other. And so, you know, when people are hiring, they're looking for people that they already have a relationship with, that they know who can come in and do a good job. So uh, going to clinics, you know, I call it kind of my DIY internship year. i I met a lot of coaches and I read a lot of books and I you know, went and saw coaches that I knew and they let me come and watch film and go to practice. And, you know, I was very fortunate that, we, you know, my husband, Kieran, works in, at, in San Francisco, which is not far from University of California in Berkeley. So uh, I was fortunate enough that the coaches there, you know, let me come and watch, come to practice and watch film. And that turned into you know, being able to shadow the coaches every day for their, for their spring ball. And so, uh, and then I was actually helping out at their summer camp that year and I got the call from the New York Jets to say uh, that they'd like to interview me for a position uh, at, in the scouting department for that summer. So that was really awesome. And that was kind of the next step. So that, that call from the New York Jets... What's that like? Because I imagine if I got a call from the New York Jets after doing all that, I'd be like, "Yeah, okay, yeah, thanks." You know, thanks whoever back home having a joke with me. <laughs> like that. That's this isn't just like you know the Croydon Rangers giving you a call. This is like it's the New York Jets. They're an NFL football team. What was that phone call like? Uh, it was awesome. Obviously, you know, at that point, I'd I, you know I'd spent a lot of time and money trying to you know develop myself as a coach and make the right make the you know meet the right people and you know, find my place in this uh, where, where you know, Australian experience kind of fits in this traditional pathway of becoming a football coach in the US. Uh, and so getting called from them was was incredible. I felt, you know, really that, you know, obviously I was excited. <laughs> it was, yeah. uh, you know, it was going to be an incredible experience. Um, but also it was, you know, a reward for effort. You know, it was, you know, I'd been putting a lot of work and, I uh, felt like it was an experience that you know I felt like I'd earned. And who was the coach there at the time at the Jets? Uh, coach Bowles was the head coach. Oh, Super Bowl uh, champion. Super Bowl champion Coach yeah. Bowles, yeah. yeah. He's an incredible coach and he was very generous with his time. Uh, I was working in the scouting department, so getting to watch, watch a lot of film, uh, learn the language of scouting, which is very different to the language of coaching and the way that you describe players and 
you know, look at players outside of the systems or programs that they already are in. Uh, so that was very interesting and really opened up my eyes. A lot of the back office things that obviously in Australia, you walk out on the field at practice, you walk out on the field to play a game, and there's none of this that's going on behind the scenes. Uh, so getting to experience that was very cool. And, uh, but Coach Bowles, uh, there, was, there was three female interns uh, and a male intern in the scouting department. Uh, we were all kind of doing the same thing. And and he really you know, took the time when we were on the sidelines to talk to us and explain what was going on and answer our questions. So he's an incredible coach. And like, what? how ruthless is the scouting? Because I imagine, like, as you said before, like these are people's jobs on the line. And Todd Bowles eventually ended up getting fired. Now, probably the best thing that ever happened to him is then goes <laughs> on to become a Super Bowl DC for the, for the Tampa Bay Bucks. But, like... How ruthless are they in that room? Do, are they looking? Are they nitpicking? Like looking because you, no one wants to be the person that scouts the bust. Like, h- h- how ruthless is, are those scouting rooms? Yeah, I would. Ruthless is probably not the right word that I would use. It's definitely businesslike. I yeah. think you know. I was definitely. I was there for cut day. Uh, you know, at the end of the preseason, when you know, thousands of players lose their jobs uh, on one day. Yeah. Uh, and it's a difficult it's a difficult situation. I think everybody understands the gravity of what's happening, um, and you know, no one's happy about it. But everyone is a professional, and that's the key word: is that this is a, a professional football league. Yes, these are people's jobs. Uh, people understand. You know, the players understand. This is what I signed up for, um, and the coaches. You know, it's not a good day for anyone. It's it's a very solemn experience to be in the building uh, during cut day. Yeah, I can I can imagine. As I said, you see it. We get a lot more insight into it now with shows like Hard Knocks and All for Nothing, all that sort of stuff. So you can see, and a lot of the guys when they do get cut, they kind of go and go, yeah, look, it's it's a business. I get it. You know, there's a couple of guys better than me. It's all good. I'll, someone else will pick me up, or I'll I'll practice squad. I'll do what I got to do. Like. I think it's it's the guys that kind of are too emotional that you think, yeah, the NFL is probably not for you. But then on the field, you know, at, at any level, you probably want that emotion. So get, how hard is it to like adjudicate or, you know, understand a player's, you know, are they going to be businesslike when I need them to be? But also on the field, can I get that emotion and effort out of them as well? Because if you're businesslike on the field too much, it can be a negative. Well, Jay, I mean, it's just like you and I walk to, walking into work every day. You show up to do the best job you can, and yeah. I think players know that too. They walk it, you know, when they're at home with their families, they try to be the best family man they can be, and then when they show up to work, they're there to work. And uh, you know, players do a great job of being able to, you know, part of being a professional football player is being able to put your heart and soul into it when you go out onto the field. You know, that really is part of the job description. Yeah, yeah, true. So yeah, you're right. I think that's a great way of putting it is when, when I go to work, which is not in the NFL. It's, <laughs> I guess I don't love it, but you've got to just, you know, strap your boots on and go. You know, it's just how it yeah. works. Um, so then you, you do that for, are you at the Jets for the whole year? Uh, so I got to be at, at the Jets for, for a solid six weeks. It was like all the way through preseason. Yep. Uh, we got to, to go to a away game in Philly, which was, uh, which was an incredible experience to travel with the team. Except having uh, as to well go as the to home Philly, games, obviously. yeah. Except having to go to the Eagles, like no one wants to go to the Eagles. Let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you, you're, you're at the Jets. You, you, you do your internship. Does the Brown opportunity come up straight away after that, or was there a bit of time in between? 
there was a bit of time in between uh, that you know that year. I actually uh, met Coach Perry, who's the head coach here at Brown, uh, through the NFL Women's Forum, and was able to stay in touch with him. He was uh, the head coach of a scholarship school called Bryant, which is uh, also here in Rhode Island uh, at the time, and you know just stayed in touch. And you know, again, it's all about was all about connections and and you know the coaches clinic every January that the American Football Coaches Association puts on is a huge event. And I was I was actually there that January, and I was you know texting and calling the coaches I knew to to see if I could catch up for a coffee or you know, pick their brains and you know, draw a little on the whiteboards that they have around the conference center. Uh, and Coach Perry called me and said that he uh, had just been hired at Brown, which I'd, I'd known and, and text him about, and that he, there might be an opportunity for me to come and interview for a position. So, uh, and then it kind of, it, it, you know, it escalated from there, I guess, is, is the best way to do it. I, I came out to Rhode Island and interviewed for the offensive quality control position, uh, which I got and, and then started that spring, you know, two weeks into spring ball, I, I flew into Providence and uh, hit the ground running, so to speak. And well, okay, because so, there's a lot of roles in a football team that people in Australia, we basically have a head coach, OCDC, you might have like an assistant OC or DC <laughs> that does some positional stuff. What does a quality assurance, quality assurance, is that what it was? Quality control Quality coach. control coach. What what do they do on a day-to-day basis? What's that role? So the best way I can describe it is like I was the assistant to the, all the offensive assistant coaches. Okay. So in the US, there are rules uh, in college about in college especially about who can interact with the players and the number of coaches that you can have on staff. So then you have the auxiliary staff for everyone from uh, the, like the director of football operations, who is, you know, for lack of a better term, your team manager. They're the person that organizes the travel and the you know, paperwork and the, you know, sometimes the, the head coach's schedule and things like that, uh, among all the thousands of other hats that they wear, um, as well as, you know, maybe recruiting assistants at big schools and uh, social media managers and all the auxiliary staff. And the Offensive and defensive quality control coaches, sometimes uh, they could get called uh, offensive and defensive analysts as well, do a lot of the film breakdown and the meeting preparation and the preparing playbooks or things for the players during the season, anything that the coaches need done going on behind the scenes, uh, you know, helping read out scripts at practice when the players are running plays to the signaler and those sorts of behind-the-scenes jobs that aren't necessarily directly interactional with the players uh, but an assistant to all the offensive assistant coaches. So I worked closely with, with the head coach and the, and the quarterback's coach, uh, Saitu Smith, and uh, also the recruiting coordinator. So any recruiting events that we had on campus and things I, I was involved with helping prepare for those. Okay, that sounds cool. And then, so you do that for, for the year. Am I right to say, so was the Brown the Brown job the first kind of paid role you had as a coach in or ever or? Well, I mean, the first, I think I'm going to frame the first check I got from the New York Jets because that was that was pretty cool to get paid to watch film for the first time uh, yeah. <laughs> in, also, about, the in, so in about 12 years was so it was a, uh, it was was a paid cool. internship at the Jets. Yeah, okay. that's right. They they did look after us very well uh, at the New York Jets. So I was I was very um, grateful for them for how well they looked after us and the amount of stuff I could learn uh, in, in an internship. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there's you know 
for all the time and all the work that I know all the volunteer coaches in Australia put into their teams uh, to, to get paid for that, even though it was a very small amount <laughs> in the beginning, uh, was was a surreal experience because, you know, it's something that obviously we all love to do and, uh, you know, we all just trying to do the best for our, for our players. So uh, to, to turn that from a hobby into a job, I think I'm going to need a new hobby. <laughs> <laughs> is that when you – because like one of the questions I've got is like, is that when you kind of knew, all right, like, I can make a career out of this. Like I can be a football coach. Was was it the Jets that kind of that was when it clicked with you that you know all right I can I can be a professional coach here. I've got a chance because I imagine a lot of people get like go overseas and, and and do what you did and the opportunities just might not come. Like and that's it doesn't mean they're a bad coach or it's just sometimes they don't. And is that when you kind of thought all right I like this is happening for me. I can I can work like I can be a coach. Yeah, I think, you know, every, you know, they say there's two types of coaches. There's coaches that have, have been fired and coaches are about to be fired. So I think just part of being a coach is uh, having the ebbs and flows uh, in your job. Like that's just, that's part of being a football coach. And that's kind of what we all sign up for. Uh, definitely for me, you know, the, the first women's world football games and the first that first forum where, you know, you walk into a room and for me, I was always used to walking to a room where I was the only woman and I'm surrounded by male football coaches who have what is normally a relatively clear-cut pathway to the job that they want. You know, yeah. they, they can call their coaches that they've played for in the past and they have these networks where, you know, they can come down and volunteer at the high school that they played at, for example, um, as a starting point. Uh, and I didn't have that. And I kind of was was a bit lost in that way. Uh, but seeing 220 women in a room who all love football, I think that was the first turning point for me to say, hey, women really belong in this game. And this is something that we, you know, there's more than just me. <laughs> yeah. um, and that this is something that can happen. And then you know, really it's been a gradual thing, being able to, you know, move, go from, you know, my job at the Jets to being hired at Brown to being promoted at Brown, you know, those sorts of things really, you know, give you confidence at every level that you're on the right path, that it wasn't just a one-off, you know, that, you know, like the media says, oh, this is a, you know, PR stunt to hire women in the NFL. Well, no, these women are getting promoted and they're moving on to better, you know, better jobs and bigger jobs and mm -hmm. more responsibilities because, you know, they, they've earned their place to be there. Well, it's, it's funny because you, you say because you get that media and then you see, again, Tampa Bay who just won a Super Bowl with two female assistant coaches. They're the first, Bruce Aarons is the first one to hire them and he's the first one to win a Super Bowl with them. So, I like... I don't think Bruce Arians cares that much about a PR stunt to affect, right. like to make, I just said, he doesn't want to get fired either. And if he hires someone on a PR stunt and they suck and they do a bad job and then in return, his team's bad because of it. Like it, it's such a dumb, it's such a dumb narrative and it's, it's certainly getting squashed more and more now. I think you're still always going to have those, you know, those older heads that think, it, uh, but I think it's getting squashed out. And I think there's a lot of people, you know, Jen Welter, who obviously is a, big big advocate for female coaching coached the australian women's team she was at that she was at arizona with with bruce arians when he was there too um i, I guess so you then get your, your promotion at brown you're now the quarterbacks coach is that a big step up? that's for me that feels like a big step up from from quality um quality coach to to the quarterbacks coach and we all know that 
we, we can all say what we want, and I'm a former offensive lineman, and it kills me, but... You know, quarterback's the most important position on the field. Anyone who wants to fight with me about it, you can <laughs> argue with me. But we all know if you don't have a competent quarterback, uh, you better have everything else perfect around him because it's not going to work. What's that like coaching the quarterbacks and what was the step up like, I guess, from from, from your role? Yeah, I mean, you're right. I think it was a big step. And obviously, you know, being the first you know, positional coach uh, who's also a female in college, in Division One college football, you know, obviously got a lot of media attention, but yeah. really for me, it was a relatively smooth transition. I, I knew all the quarterbacks well from having worked in the quarter, you know, been helping out uh, Coach Smith with the quarterbacks the year before. Uh, and, you know, Coach Perry is a former quarterback and he was, you know, an incredible quarterback, set all the Ivy League records back in the day. And so he's heavily involved in, in the quarterback room as well. So it's, uh, it, they're an incredible group of guys and I love working with the players. And I think that was the thing that, you know, from the time that I left Australia working with the, the Warriors to now being the quarterbacks coach, you know, there's a big gap for me where I didn't get to have that daily interaction with players. And, yeah. you know, when you're a coach, that's, you know, you're there for the players and, and it's very hard to, you know, switch off and just do analytics or, you know, get bogged down in watching film and, uh, remember how much you actually love, you know, the interaction on the field and getting to run around with all the guys. So uh, to me, that's, you know, it's been a, it's been fun. Like, honestly, it's, it's been a lot of fun. And did you have like first, as you said before, like first female positional coach in division one college history, it's, it's an incredible thing that no one can really, that, that'll never be taken away from you. You will always be written down somewhere that that, that 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 will be recorded which is that's a pretty cool thing i don't know i'm, I'm sure you think that's cool. <laughs> i hope you think it's cool yeah i mean it, it's it to me it just is surprising more than anything that this this uh australian with the wrong accent has come in and <laughs> and been that first person um but you know to me being the first is really you know, it was something that, you know, I was working towards and it was a personal achievement for me more than if I felt like this, you know, big media um, success that everybody was talking about. Uh, but it's not really so much important that I'm the first. Like, it's great that I'm the first, but it's kind of now hopefully going to break down barriers for other women to come in and, you know, you know teams, you know, football is a kind of ebbs and flows in the way that, you know, we different offenses become in vogue and different defenses become in vogue. Well, I'm hoping it's now in vogue to hire women and, you know, not limit your hiring process to 50% of the population. You really have to be open to doing the best thing for your team. And, and if that best thing is hiring a woman to come in and coach the quarterbacks, then, then that's great. And as I said, I've, I've never been coached by a female before, and I'm sure a lot of college players, as you said, you were the first one. How, difficult was it for you to walk into a room as the first female and be like all right i'm your coach and i'm demanding respect from you because you're dealing with you know young men who i was a young man once where we can all be morons and a bit silly did you get any backlash or anything like that or like at brown or anywhere else like any negative responses or have you always been pretty positive for you yeah look again i think you know my my experience you know coaching in australia was 99.9% always positive. And I think, you know, part of, I, I, to, to me, you know, part of being the, part of the furniture when you're at a club for a really long time is, you know, as veterans, you know, 
respect you, then when rookies come in, they they kind of are on board. Uh, so I was lucky to have that environment uh, at the Warriors. And but really, you know, this generation, you know, especially coaching in college, you know, most people have had female teachers. Most yeah. people have had you know female physicians or doctors and you know, their moms work and, you know, they see that their moms manage a family and work as a lawyer and they, they have these female role models in their lives already. It's not, you know, we're not 100 years ago where, you know, women were confined to, you know, putting the slippers by the door and making dinner for the family. So, you know, this generation is, you know, has had female strength coaches in their high school high school locker rooms and they've had female athletic trainers and it's really, you know, really hasn't been a difficult transition. I think players figure you out very quickly. If you've got something to offer them, they want it and they're hungry to get better uh, and improve. And I think, you know, if you can offer them one gem, uh, they'll take it and run with it and they know that you're there to help and support them and that's you know coaching is teaching other than that so there's no like I really don't think there's you know I think it's more stigma from from a couch perspective where people are sitting at home going gee I wonder how this would work but the reality of players lives is that they interact with women in in positions uh, that you know impact their daily lives regularly yeah, okay. That's, I'm actually really glad to hear that because I, I always wondered, and it's something I wouldn't have a problem with in any way, I don't think. I, I think I said, if you're a player, your coach is your coach, in my opinion. It doesn't matter what you think. You just shut up and do what you're told. And that's at the <laughs> lowest level or the highest level. Like Your coach is your coach. Uh, I think some people need to hear that message a bit too. So anyone watching, <laughs> if you don't, think, you don't think that way, change your ways a little bit. Um, your goals for the future, like what where do you want to get obviously like the higher and higher and higher and higher you can climb but you know are you are you happy just just where you're at now or as a coach you know as a, i said in, in all our jobs in, in my job i'm always looking to become the, like step up and become the next is that what it's like as a coaching as a full-time job are you always looking for that next level to step up yeah well, like i said I, i've learned so much since coming to the u.s i mean you know football is football is football kind of once you cross that white line and get onto the field but you know, there are so many different nuances and different ways of looking at things and doing things that, you know, I've learned so much since I've got here and I definitely have a lot more to learn. Uh, you know, rea the reality is, you know, doing a really good job at what I'm doing now is is the focus that I've got. Uh, you know, I definitely have, you know, a, a long-term goal of being a head coach again and, uh, you know, having had that experience in Australia and, and it's something I want to work towards, but I'm, you know, well aware that of my, you know, what I, you don't know what you don't know, but, you know, there's a lot of limitations uh, that I had spending so much time, you know, in Australia in uh, what is a completely different field um, to what goes on here. So I'm, you know, working my way up slowly and just trying to do a good job with the quarterbacks at Brown and, and focus on winning an Ivy League championship here first before uh before looking, you know, away from away from here. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, what advice would you give? You know, obviously, the, the the female league in Australia is is a lot bigger now than when you were here, and it, it's going quite well. It, it ebbs and flows like all leagues do. But I guess you, what advice would you give to to a female in Australia that's just starting out or been playing for a while that wants to take either coaching or playing to a higher level, like like what you have? What what, what advice would you give? 
Um, I mean, for playing, it's all about just having a go. For, you know, from a playing perspective, you know, they say do something that scares you every day. Well, you know, there are coaches and teams here that are always looking for players, uh, for good players from everywhere. Um, there are into more international players coming into playing the women's leagues over here, and there are a lot of opportunities uh, in that way. So it's more about, you know, what's the worst that can happen if you reach out to a coach or you, know, you ask for an advice from a from a player that you admire over here, and and it, and if you're a rookie, you know, hang in there and 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 do everything your coaches tell you. Like you said, it's uh, you know, it's a nuanced game, and, and you start in a very uh, insular kind of uh, situation where you just focus on exactly what it is that you need to do, which foot you have to step with, and eventually, as your football IQ in- increases, your understanding of the game. Uh, improves and the game kind of slows down and everything kind of gets a little easier. So, uh, but from a coaching perspective, you can never have too much experience and you can never meet too many people. Uh, you never know which handshake is going to lead to your to the job that you want. Uh, and so, the most important thing you can do is spend a lot of time, you know, studying the game, learning from other coaches, but also you know, reaching out and making connections. Uh, we're in this really cool. Uh, COVID world right now where it doesn't matter if you're five minutes down the road or on the other side of the world, we can meet via Zoom and just talk about football and you know, talk about offenses and do all that stuff. And there are plenty of coaches out there willing to give time. Uh, and so you, you just have to reach out. Yeah, that's it's, it's great advice. Um, I've got, there's a, there's a podcast I listen to a lot. It's called the Around the NFL podcast. And there's a guy on it, his name's Chris Wessling, who's a big, big journalist. He, he passed away a few weeks ago. And I've been thinking about this a lot. There's this line that he used to always say, and it just started like really hitting with me that, you know, he talks about, he was a, a media writer, journalist, all that for NFL. And he used to always say that, you know, he, he'd look around, be watching a game, you know, taking notes to write an article later. And he'd sit there and just turn to other people and go, man, we're just stealing time here. We're just, still, I, I can't believe we are getting paid to watch football or coach football or play football. And do, do you ever have those moments where you just sit there and have to pinch yourself almost like you may be at a game on the sideline just think, wow, I am getting paid to coach a Division One football team with these elite players at these elite facilities at this amazing school. Um, do you ever have those moments? Oh, absolutely, all the time. I I can vividly remember. So my first Division One football experience was – uh, coming over to the U.S. in 2010 after um, after helping uh, at the national championships, I was the athletic trainer for the Victorian team that year, and you know thought that strength and conditioning might be the way for me to kind of make make my role make my way in football. And I did an internship at Oregon State, and I remember vividly walking down the the the, the street to the gym to the weight room and on one side was this incredible basketball stadium facility and literally on the other side of the street was the football stadium and like walking in and just being like this is the most incredible thing I've ever seen (laughs) like this is so I get to come to work here and like I was working for free at that time and it was you know it was hard work and long hours and I spent my life savings to come over here and and do that. Uh, But that I vividly remember that feeling. And and that's something that, you know, really just hits you every now and again, you just walk in and you're like, this is what I get to do for my, for my job. Like um, that it's an incredible feeling and uh, there's nothing, nothing can, 
you kind of change how you feel about those incredible moments when they kind of happen and you know national anthem before the start of a game and and that sort of stuff every time it's like you know this is, you know, I do this for, I used to do this for fun, you know, yeah. like, and now it's my job and I get to have fun all the time. <laughs> well, yeah, that's, that's awesome. I just think it's, I just always think that the term, you know, we're stealing time here. I think that's just such an awesome thing. And look, that, that's all we've got time for tonight. I wanted just to thank you again for coming on. And I hope everyone watching and have really listened to what you're saying. And, you know, football can take you a lot of places. And I think that the term that I like for you is just put yourself out there, you know, if there's a clinic you want to go to in in America, do it. Take a chance on it. Um, and we're all we're all really proud of you here in Victoria. Congratulations on all your success and, and best of luck for everything else. And we we all wish you nothing but success for the future. Thanks, Jay. I really appreciate it. And uh, you know, wishing everybody uh, good on Victoria. Good luck for the rest of for their seasons this year. Beautiful. Thank you. Hi guys. So I just wanted to finish up the podcast tonight. Um, obviously it was a it was a late interview with Heather. Um, and thanks so much again to Heather for her time. Uh, I think we can all agree it was an incredible story um, and you know, really shows where, where football can take you with a lot of hard work and effort. Um, so people take a, a lot away from that. Um, I wanted just to thank Scott Ditcham from Onside Kick Productions. You saw our fancy little video at the start of the show. Um, that was done by Scott. Um, thanks again, mate. It was, it's awesome just to have a little intro for the show. And um, I was looking at ways to get it done and you came out of nowhere as, as you always do and, and offered. And um, it's a really cool intro. So I appreciate that. Um, guys, if you want to hear more podcasts that, that I myself do, uh, the Vault Studio do an NFL podcast, a fantasy football podcast, and we're just launching a college football podcast as well. So subscribe to this channel, whether you're on YouTube or your podcast, subscribe. It'll come into your feed. Um, we'd love to have more people listening to that as well. But as for the Gridiron Victoria podcast, really enjoying doing it so far. We've got some big things planned. Um, and again, if anyone wants to be involved, anyone wants to come on the show, um, be on the show with me, interview someone with me, an idea of someone to interview overseas or, or in Australia, um, I'd love to hear from you guys. This is all about growing the game and this is all about you know a podcast that's um, you know by the players for the players. So to do that, I, I want some of the players on here with me. So hit me up. There's no dumb question. Ask if you want to be a part of it. And uh, thanks everyone for tuning in and you'll see me on the next podcast. Thanks, guys.